If you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians 6, as we continue in our sermon series, The Christian in Battle, we'll be looking particularly at verses 18 through 20 as we close the series this morning. We've explored uh, the Christian's battle and the Christian's armor here, and now as we are closing our, our, uh, our series and looking at the closing verses of this series, we see Paul exhort us in this, this great spiritual warfare passage to be a people of constant and persistent and consistent prayer. He tells us that since we are in a, a fierce spiritual battle, that we must be constant and consistent in prayer for the church and for its gospel ministry to move forward in the earth. And as we begin, I, I want to consider something that John Piper once said about prayer in relation to spiritual warfare, he once said that prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare, not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts of the saints. A prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare, not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts of the saints. Now, depending on where you're coming from this morning, uh, that, that statement might not hit you in a particularly favorable manner. And of course, we could say that in one sense, uh, prayer is something of a domestic intercom. There is a domestic aspect to prayer, since when we pray, we go to our God and our Father, and, and there is comfort that comes from prayer, because we know that it's in prayer that we come into the presence of our Heavenly Father, which is the greatest of all comforts for the believer. However, just as there are are multiple angles from which we can accurately look at our relationship with God through Christ. There are also multiple angles through which we can look at the gift of prayer. And one of those angles that we likely uh, miss fairly often when it comes to prayer is the first half of Piper's statement there, that prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare. From this angle, prayer has not only a, a domestic aspect, and God is not only our, 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 our Father, but God is also our King and our General, and He has given us as His troops a crucial mission to carry forward in His name, and He has also given us as His troops a transmitter that goes straight to the receiver in heaven, and He's told us, Listen, as you carry forth this mission, you will be attacked by your mortal enemy and his demonic army. Therefore, you must keep close in close contact with me through this means. And as you do, I will send instruction and air support and reinforcements. I will give you help. This is one vital aspect. This is one of the biblical purposes of prayer. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. And yet, as Piper goes on to say, he says, but what have millions of Christians done? They've stopped believing that we are in a war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning, just easy peacetime and prosperity. And what did they do with the walkie-talkie? They tried to rig it up as an intercom in their cushy houses and cabins and boats and cars. Not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask the maid to bring another pillow to the den. So Paul's closing exhortations here call us to 
to pick up this walkie-talkie for its intended purpose. He's, he's calling us to one of the biblical purposes of prayer, a wartime walkie-talkie from which we recruit the instruction and, and help of our king and our general. He's calling us to pick up prayer as, as a tool for spiritual warfare. And so, let's dig in. This, we're going to read the whole passage. We'll read uh, verses 10 through 20 if you'd like to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word. Uh, but of course, we'll... Uh, narrow in on verses 18 through 20 here and unpack those verses as we close our series. As we read, let's listen with reverence and joy because this is the word of our God, all writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and proclamation of your word to our hearts, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to, to be changed by your word and be conformed more and more to the image of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So here Paul instructs us regarding the when, how, and what of wartime prayer. The when, how, and what of wartime prayer. And first we see him instruct us regarding the when of wartime prayer in verse 18. In putting on our spiritual armor, Paul says that we're to do so while praying at all times in the Spirit. Paul exhorts us to pray in the Spirit, which means... Uh, to pray according to the, the promptings and guidance and, and according to the will of the Holy Spirit, particularly as it's revealed in Holy Scripture, which is the sword of the Spirit. That's where we find the Spirit's will and guidance and promptings. And when does he tell us to do this? When does he tell us to pray in the Holy Spirit? He says, at all times. When are we to pray in the Spirit? At all times. You'll notice Paul's proclivity here in this passage to use the word all again and again. He goes on to say that we're to pray at all times with all prayer and supplication, keeping alert with all perseverance and for all the saints. But the first of the the universals here pertains to time. We're to pray in the Spirit all the time, at all times. We're to pray in the Spirit. We're to pray Spirit and Scripture-directed prayers. Of course, most of us pray Sometimes, what Paul says, that simply will not do. We're to pray at all times. 
Now, that might seem as uh, kind of like an overwhelming thought, to be praying at, at all times. And, and uh, to, to be honest, I'd be dishonest if I told you I had this whole thing figured out and what this looks like in life. But one thing I do know is that Paul, Paul is not saying that we should all kind of quit our jobs and send our kids away and go live on a commune like a bunch of monks and, and kind of sit in a room and pray all day and, and not carry forth life with our vocations and callings that God has given us. No, the Lord intends that we work uh, in our particular vocations. Children are a gift from the Lord, and, and even if they make uh, even seemingly make prayer more difficult sometimes, they are uh, a gift to us. And And besides, when you consider the whole of Scripture, you can conclude that the Christian life includes action just as much as it does prayer. We're to be people of action. And yet, part of what Paul is encouraging us toward here is not to separate our our lives of action, our active life, from our prayer life, but to fuse the two together here. Uh, I once heard Joel Beakey uh, tell a story that illustrated this. There was a, a group of pastors at a restaurant together And uh, they were talking and debating and pontificating and arguing about uh, what Paul meant when he told the church in Thessalonica to pray without ceasing. That's a a parallel text to our text this morning, where he tells the the church in Thessalonica to pray without ceasing. And uh, they were arguing about what this meant, what what does this look like in in practice? And they couldn't come to an agreement or conclusion and so one of the pastors said, well, let's ask our waitress when she comes by, and, and uh, we'll ask if she knows what it means. And, and the others agreed, and so when she came to refill their drinks at one point, they, they asked her, can you, do you know what Paul, can you tell us what, what Paul meant when he told the, the church in Thessalonica to pray without ceasing? Yeah, of course, she said. Of course. That's simple. And so they kind of exchanged surprise glances with one another, thinking like, we've just asked a crazy person this question. But she goes on to to tell them, when I get dressed in the morning, I pray that God would clothe me with his righteousness. When I serve you bread, I ask that Jesus might be my bread of life. When I dust the furniture, I ask that the filth might be taken out of my heart. When I set your drink before you, I ask that Jesus might be my water of life. And I just kind of pray my way through the day like that. You see how she's praying at all times in the Spirit, praying without ceasing at all times, according to the Holy Spirit's will is revealed in the Word of God. She's praying at all times in the Spirit. That's what it means to pray. That's what it looks like to pray at all times in the Spirit. I think uh, kind of with this, Donald Whitney summed it up well when he said that to pray without ceasing means you never really stop conversing with God. You simply have frequent interruptions. You see, we go throughout our day with a sort of God consciousness, continually coming to Him with gratitude, with requests, with adoration, with thanksgiving, with little, um, little interruptions of this conversation throughout the day, but never too far from Him. That's what it means to pray without ceasing or to pray at all times in the Spirit. And so how do we do this? How, how do we do this in practice? How do we pray at all times in the Spirit? Well, first, I, I'd encourage you to make margin in your schedule. To make margin in your schedule for this where you can. Uh, I know that busyness is often a, uh, an excuse for prayerlessness, but one French theologian once said that time is not always a problem. The real problem is not knowing what really matters in life. No one has yet starved to death because they didn't have time to eat, right? You make margin in your schedule to eat. Why not do the same 
for prayer. Instead of scheduling meetings at your work back to back, schedule them with a 15-minute break between them and take just a couple of minutes for prayer. Instead of filling every waking moment with social media, podcasts, YouTube, television, games, let go of some forms of entertainment so that you can pray. Do you, do, you, do you really need to listen to a podcast or music or the radio on every single drive? Or could you, on your drive home from work in the evening, could you, instead of listening to talk radio or whatever, could you pray instead? Could you put margin in your schedule for prayer? Those are just some examples, but you, you, you can context, particularly contextualize this application to your own life by making margin for your life in some way for prayer. Next is do arrow prayers, arrow prayers. So some of you have been around for a little bit, and you remember we went through a sermon series several years ago through Nehemiah, and uh, you, remember, you, you may remember Nehemiah's example uh, in Nehemiah 2 of an arrow prayer. Uh, Nehemiah and, and Nehemiah 2 is on the heels of a time of, of lament and mourning. He's hearing about the, the sad state of God's people in God's city, and he's on a mission to restore the city. And he's planning and praying and, and trying to see what he can do to restore the city of Jerusalem, and yet... As he's the cupbearer to the king, King Artaxerxes, he couldn't just leave his station and keep his head. He, he, he can't leave. And so one day he strolls into work and Nehemiah is visibly sad. And the king takes notice of this and he asks Nehemiah what's wrong. And Nehemiah answers by telling him about the state of God's people in Jerusalem. And the king, surprisingly, asks Nehemiah how he can help. And Nehemiah 2.4 Nehemiah takes a very brief moment to pray. It's almost as an aside. Nehemiah, as he's like writing in his journal, sort of it seems, he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven, and then he moves almost instantly on to make his requests to the king. It's like an arrow that he just, bing, just shoots to heaven very briefly and then moves on in his work. That's an arrow prayer. Now, like you moms, you didn't know what this was called, but you do this. You're, this is your bread and butter, you moms here. Um, but we would all do well to add arrow prayers into our day, throughout our day, just taking a moment to turn our hearts Godward, making brief requests in the middle of uh, evangelism opportunities, asking for strength in the middle of temptation, asking for patience when meeting with an annoying coworker, asking for help when a gospel opportunity comes up with one of your children, just offering a brief prayer, a brief request to God, to the God of heaven. That's an arrow prayer. And then last, I would say this, don't forget to set aside intentional time for prayer too. You know, some, of, some of us might see this call to be a people who pray at all times and then go, ah, well, then I can just forego my regular disciplined times of prayer in the morning or, or whenever and, and, and just be tempted to, to set aside those intentional times in Scripture and in prayer in the, sake of just, in, in the sake of the name of just praying all the time. There's an old Jesuit saying, though, that I, I, I like to remember. It says, pray at all times everywhere, but also pray sometimes somewhere. And I think that's wise advice for us in life as we continue to, to cultivate a life of prayer. We need to pray at all times, yes, but that doesn't mean that we should set aside those daily times of, of devotion and prayer. 
And you know, personally, I've, I've found that as I've become more disciplined in those regular personal times in Scripture and prayer in the Christian life, that I've become more and more inclined to pray throughout the day as well. That as I immerse myself in the Scriptures on a daily basis, and I've immersed myself in these intentional sacred times of prayer, the more and more I became prone and likely to pray throughout the day, pray scripture, spirit-directed prayers throughout the day as well. And that makes sense, of course, when you consider the fact that it's through those means of being in God's word and being in prayer, those are God-ordained means through which he promises to help shape and form us to be more like Christ, the Christ who, who always prayed at all times in the spirit. And if you look at the Gospels, you look at the Gospel according to Luke, and Luke will, will mention again and again that Jesus would steal away to lonely places, to, to, to desolate places, to devote time, you'd make margin in his schedule, to devote time in prayer to his heavenly Father. And then, of course, as, as he comes to the, the, his passion and his death on Calvary, what is Christ doing as he's suffering, going through the most horrible moments of his life, suffering, being tortured, dying on a Roman cross? What's he doing? He's praying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's praying through Psalm 22. He's praying at all times in the Spirit, praying Spirit and Scripture-directed prayers, even through the most horrible moments of his life. He prayed. And he prayed at all times in the Spirit. And we, like him, are called to be praying at all times in the Spirit, praying Spirit and Scripture-directed prayers just like Christ. That's the win of wartime prayer. But the next we see the how of wartime prayer. Paul goes on to say that we're to be praying at all times in the Spirit. And he tells us how, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So, Pray with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So we're to pray with all prayer and supplication, to keep alert with all perseverance. So you can probably see there are kind of two parts to the how of wartime prayer here. First, we're to pray with all prayer, all prayer and supplication. So what Paul is saying here is that we're to pray with all different kinds of prayer. He's saying that, that we're to pray with the varied forms of prayer that we find in Scripture. As you read the Psalms and you read the many prayers throughout the Bible, you'll see all of these different kinds of, of prayer. You'll see prayers of adoration and worship, prayers of confession and lament, prayers of thanksgiving. You'll see imprecatory prayers. You'll see prayers of petition and intercession and supplication and more. And with, there, there, there are many of these, these different kinds of prayer that we see in Scripture that we engage in in the Christian life. And Paul says that we're to pray when all of these varied forms this is one reason why I sometimes we'll um, encourage people to pray using the ACTS acrostic, A-C-T-S, ACTS acrostic form of praying. Some of you might be familiar with the ACTS acrostic form of praying. Uh, it's an, an example of what it looks like to engage in varied forms of prayer. And the ACTS acrostic, the A, uh, you know, each letter stands for a particular thing. The A stands for adoration. We say prayers of adoration, worshiping God for who he is, praising him for his perfections, exalting him for his excellencies, glorifying him for his goodness and his greatness and his grace. We, 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 ad, we adore him in prayer. This is a, a, a form of prayer that we engage in. But then as we do that, we also move on to the C, which stands for confession. We confess our sins to God. 
knowing that we've sinned against him in thought, word, and deed, that we have sinned against him in what we've done and in what we've left undone. So we confess these things to him in in humble contrition. We do this every Sunday together. We should be doing this every single day. We should confess our sins to the Lord every single day. And as we do that, we also move on to the T, which stands for, for thanksgiving. We give thanks to God for his work of redemption, for his forgiveness, for his provision, for his protection, for all of the various blessings that he lavishes on us in this life. And then in, in the S, we pray for, uh, we, we pray in, in terms of supplication. We pray in supplication, which is a word we find here in our text that you might not be familiar with. Supplication is kind of a strange word. But supplication is a kind of word, uh, is, is, is a kind of prayer rather, wherein you bring your requests to God. To supplicate means to, to ask for something. And uh, what's more is, is that the word supplication here kind of adds a flavor of urgency in the asking. To supplicate is, is not just to ask, but to ask with urgency and fervor. Uh, the BDAG lexicon defines the Greek word as an urgent request to meet a need. And this is a, the, the kind of prayer that we're to engage in amidst all of the biblical forms of prayer, along with all the varied forms of prayer that we find in the scriptures. That's what it means to pray with all prayer and supplication. But then regarding the second part pertaining the how of prayer, Paul says that we're to keep alert with all perseverance, to keep alert with all perseverance. We ought not to forget here that that we're in a war. We are in a war as God's people, and we live very comfortable lives as Americans, and we live in a decadent time and place, and and thus it's it's very easy for us to forget that there's a battle going on for our lives and for the lives of our families and friends and neighbors. It's very easy to to forget that, that Satan and his demonic cohorts are seeking to deceive us and tempt us and to destroy us and seeking to, 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 to lead us astray from the things of God. It's easy to adapt a kind of peacetime lifestyle, adapting our, our lifestyles to the American dream, and yet Paul's reminder ought to, to be something of like smelling salts to us, waking us up, saying, keep alert, stay awake, don't lose perspective here of what's actually going on behind the scenes. There is a war, and there are lives at stake, eternal lives at stake. Do not forget that you're at war. Keep alert. Stay awake. And this is particularly relevant, I think, for us to remember as we close this series out this morning. You know, this is a reminder. This reminder that we're in a spiritual war, I I hope has been helpful, at least for some of us. I hope it's been helpful. But our becoming alert to this must not end with this series. We are to keep alert with all perseverance. As John Calvin says in the, in the prayer, in our morning prayer, in our prayer booklets, uh, it, it means nothing to begin well if one does not persevere. We're, we're to persevere in being alert. We must persevere in this alertness. And prayer is essential to keeping alert with perseverance. Prayer is partly how we stay alert here. Uh, Harold Honer, he's got this great commentary on Ephesians, and he says this little beautiful nugget here. He says, prayer causes alertness, and alertness keeps believers in prayer. And so, as we not only conclude this series this morning, but we approach the end of our month of prayer here, my encouragement for us would be to keep alert by persevering in prayer. Some of you guys have, have begun new habits of prayer and fasting this month. 
don't set those aside just because our month of prayer and, and fasting is ending. Keep them up. Now, part of the purpose of this month is to establish those habits, not only for this month, but for the future. So we not just pray this month and, and then be done with it, but to go on praying, persevering in prayerfulness, keeping our prayer booklets, keep it, keeping on with reading the scriptures, keeping up with confessing our sins, keep listing our, our prayer requests, keep offering our supplications to the Lord to keep awake and, 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 and keep alert while doing it with all perseverance. And of course, we, we won't always want to. You won't always want to, to pray. That's that's just part of the Christian life. You won't always feel like it, but you're to do it anyways. You're to persevere in prayerfulness. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said something along the lines of, of uh, the fact that, that if we desire to pray, we ought to pray because it would be a shame to waste such an opportunity. And if we don't desire to pray, we should pray because it'd be so dangerous to stay in such a, sa- uh, such a state. We ought to pray at all times with all perseverance, no matter what our feelings are telling us. We're to pray and continue on in praying the many varied forms of prayer found in the scriptures. That's the how of wartime prayer. But then Paul goes on to show us not only the when and the how of wartime prayer, but the what of wartime prayer. He gives us some specific things to pray for. He says to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And again, you can kind of see these two parts here, regarding the what of wartime prayer. He exhorts us to pray for the church, and he exhorts us to pray for gospel ministry. And so he's exhorting us to pray for the church here. He uses the word all again, just we're not to pray uh, sometimes with some prayer and supplication, with some perseverance. We're also not to just pray for some of the saints. We're to pray for all the saints. And that most certainly includes those people sitting next to you in the pews and across the, the aisle in the pews from you this morning. We're to pray for one another uh, in, in, our local, in our own local church. But this also goes far beyond that as well. Right now, there are saints across town There are saints across this nation. There are saints across oceans in Nigeria and China and Iraq and in all the various nooks and crannies of this world for whom we're to be praying. We're to be praying for the purity, for the unity, for the reformation, for the direction, for the sanctification, for the multiplication of the whole church across the whole world. And along with that, we're to be praying for the ministry of the gospel to go forward across the whole world. Paul here is requesting prayer for himself, he says, as an ambassador of heaven sent to proclaim heaven's message. Heaven's, mes- heaven's message is the mystery of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news that the Son of God has come to us clothed in our humanity, becoming a human being like us. And that he lived the life that we should have lived, that he died the death that we deserve to die in our place, and that he rose again on the third day so that we can receive the forgiveness of sins and new life in him. And for all who repent and trust in him, Jesus will grant eternal life when he returns to make all things new and to set up his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. 
And when he does, when he does come as king, he will vanquish all who do not trust in him and do not respond with belief and repentance into the lake of fire for all of eternity. That's heaven's message. And it's for that message that the apostle Paul was arrested and put in prison. That's why he refers to himself as an ambassador in chains here. He was sent with heaven's message, but he's been arrested, he's in chains, he's in prison here. And yet notice that Paul does not request prayer for his release from prison. That's not his primary concern. That'd be a perfectly fine thing to pray for, but that's not what Paul is primarily concerned with. Paul's primary concern is that the gospel move forward with potency and power so that people hear and believe in the one true and risen Christ. That is his primary concern. And so he's requesting prayer that he not be deterred by fear of of prison or persecution, but that he continue to preach that gospel, that message, that message of heaven with boldness and clarity. And still today, we're to pray in this way for the ministry of the gospel in the earth, for it to be proclaimed and for its fruitfulness as it is proclaimed. We're to pray for gospel ministry. And Kent Hughes, he tells the story of this, uh, of the, of the uh, great missionary Hudson Taylor on one of his visits home to England. Hudson Taylor was a, a missionary to China in the 1800s, and he gave his life to the cause of gospel ministry in China, and it was a, a, it, it was a particularly fruitful work too. In fact, uh, it was so fruitful that many were confounded at how fruitful this work had been uh, and how potently God was at work through Taylor and through his, his, uh, the other missionaries who were working alongside him there. It was a great mystery to the missionaries there and to their senders at home. And uh, so on one of his visits home to England, Taylor was giving a talk, and afterward a gentleman approached Taylor to make his acquaintance. And during the conversation, Hudson Taylor was amazed and struck at, at how uh, familiar this man was with him and with the other missionaries and and the many details about the missionary work in China and and, uh, what was going on at their mission statement. And uh, so Taylor just blatantly asked him, he said, how is it that you're so conversant with the conditions of the work? And the man replied saying, oh, uh, well, uh, one of the missionaries there and I are old college friends, and for years we've regularly corresponded, and he has sent me the names of inquirers and converts and these daily have I taken to God in prayer. And, and Taylor remarks that the mystery was solved regarding the fruitfulness of this mission's work. The, the, what made this mission's work so fruitful was this man, and possibly others, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, keeping alert with all perseverance, praying for all the saints in China and for the ministry of the gospel to go forward there. The mystery was solved. And so you see, my friends, I I want you to see something very, very important here for us. My friends, in this mission and in this war, your prayers can make all the difference. Your prayers can make all the difference. I remember just a few years ago. Uh, in our uh, Slack channel for the, uh, our, the Harbor Network pastors, the network of, of churches that we're a part of. One of, the, one of the pastors gave a testimony to just say, listen, 
We've been uh, planting this church here for the last several years, and we've not seen much fruit except for in the last year. We've seen an enormous amount of fruit, enormous, an enormous amount of people come to hear and believe the gospel, and we haven't changed anything except one thing. We've been praying for this exact thing to happen more, that your prayers can make all the difference for the saints, and for the ministry of the gospel moving forward. Your prayers can make a global impact. Your prayers can shape the direction of human history. You can bind Satan and thwart his purposes as you lay hold of the risen Christ by prayer. By praying for all the saints and for the ministry of the gospel to move forward, you can make a difference. And so with that, I would encourage you to do it, to pray to pray for all the saints and for the ministry of the gospel. Pray. Pray for one another. Pray pray for all the saints. Of course, that goes well beyond our own local church, but it starts here. Pray for one another. Pray for your fellow church members. This is a vital way that we can be there for one another and strengthen one another in this war, in this fight against our enemy. Pray for each other in community groups. Pray for those in the church that you know are suffering. Get a a membership directory. This is why I print mine out. I get a printed copy of our membership directory. And every single morning, I go downstairs and I pray. And as I'm praying, I'll just open one page. There's three three, pages. sections on a page, and I'll pray for three individuals or households in our church. I'd encourage you, do that. Get, bother Julia and email her and tell her, ask her for a printed copy of the membership directory. Get a printed copy of the membership directory and pray for each other every single morning. Work through that membership directory systematically, praying for one another, offering up one another to the Lord in prayer. This is essential. This is vital. We must pray for one another as we are in this spiritual battle together against our enemy. But then also notice how Paul requests prayer for the preaching of the word. He requests prayer for the preaching of the word. We ought to be praying for the regular preaching of God's word in our church. Now Sunday in and Sunday out, we desire that the word and gospel of God be heralded from this pulpit We want the word and gospel of God to be heralded from this into the ears and into the hearts of God's people so that the lost elect might be saved and God's people might be sanctified. You know, uh, Charles Spurgeon had a very fruitful ministry in the Elephant and Castle neighborhood in London and uh, with thousands of thousands of people hearing and believing the gospel and being discipled there in that church through his preaching. And other preachers would often ask him, now, what's the secret to this? What, what, what are you doing that we're not doing? What is your church doing that we're not doing? What's the deal with all of your fruitfulness? And he would always receive questions like this, and he would always respond by saying the same thing, my people pray for me. That's the secret. My people pray for me. My people pray for me. I, likewise, if we want to be a church wherein the gospel moves forward in the city of Dayton with grace and power, We must be a people who pray for the preaching of God's word to be made effectual for the salvation of God's lost elect and so that God's people would be sanctified in his truth. His word is truth and his word goes forward through the preaching of it by God's people. We have to be praying for the regular preaching of God's holy word. Next, we must also pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters throughout the world. Again, don't miss that Paul is writing this from prison. And in many ways, 
He's asking the Ephesians to pray for him to be strengthened of the Lord, just as he encouraged and exhorted them to be in verse 10. He's asking for prayer, for strength to continue, to persevere, to be bold in gospel proclamation, even while he's in prison and persecuted. Well, we should pray in the same way for persecuted believers in in places like China and North Korea and Iran and Somalia and, and other similar kinds of places where Christians are persecuted and imprisoned and killed. Hebrews 13.3, earlier quoted it, tells us explicitly to do this as we're exhorted to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. I'd encourage you, get resources from the likes of, of the Voice of the Martyrs, ministry, publications like Operation World. Begin to lift up these brothers and sisters in prayer. Furthermore, pray for missions and missionaries, for the, 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 the works of, of missions and missionaries throughout the world. As a church, we've committed to pray for, for uh, a young woman named Amy, the missionary in the field right now. Uh, Dan and I have asked you to pray for three to five individuals or households to be sent from our church into the field. Right now, there's a team of us who are meeting together once a month to plan and strategize and organize and pray uh, a mission, for a missions ministry here in our church. Please be in prayer for these things. Please be in prayer for these things. And not only that, but pray for other efforts going on in the world. So every evening, our family does this. Every evening for family worship, we do this as a family. Uh, We we read the Bible, we do catechism, and then we get our Operation World app out. And we see, we find the particular nation that they're asking us to pray for that evening. And we read about the particular issues going on there. And we find them on our globe and we get a little bit of information about them. And then our family prays for these nations, for these missions, and and for the fruitfulness of the gospel there, for Satan to be bound there, for his purposes to be thwarted, for God's grace and glory to be known and enjoyed there. My friends, this is in part why the gift of prayer has been given to us. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. We've been given a transmitter that goes straight to the receiver in heaven so that we might recruit the help of heaven, the strength of heaven, so that we might receive the, the, uh, recruit the airstrikes of heaven against our enemy and his work and purposes in the world. We've been given a mission in a battle on this earth, and we need the help given through prayer because the mission and the war that we're facing as the troops of Jesus Christ, our King and General, are too big for us to face on our own. And yet the mission and war we've been given are not too big for him. He is the sovereign one, the one true sovereign of the universe. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He has lived, died, and risen. He has conquered Satan and his demonic army and has been seated victoriously at the right hand of God. He has crushed the head of this nasty snake. He is victor. And so, my friends, when we go to him in prayer, we're going to recruit the help that ensures the victory of this mission and this battle. And because of that, we ought to always and at all times, with all perseverance, be dependent upon him in prayer, with all prayer and supplication, praying for all the saints and for the ministry of the gospel to move forward in this earth, that all nations might know the victory and grace of Jesus Christ. This is our fight. 
this is what God's provision of armor and prayer are for, so that we would be furnished with everything needful for battle. We are in a fierce spiritual battle, so we must be constant and consistent in prayer for the church and for the the ministry of the gospel to move forward in prayer. So we've seen the, the when, the how, and the what of wartime prayer this morning. And we believe it. May we apply it to our lives. May we live in light of this this week and on into the future for the sake and glory of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for the gift of prayer, for giving us this this means of grace through which we can recruit your help, your strength, your power, and your, your work in the earth to pave the way for the truth of the gospel to move forward. We thank you for the victory of Jesus Christ, having crushed the head of Satan, so that we can live into the victory that he's already accomplished, so that we can say, like Churchill did all those years ago, ah, so we won. It's been won. Christ has crushed the head of the nasty snake. What a glorious reality. Help us to live in light of that reality always by being dependent upon Christ always in prayer, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, keeping alert with all perseverance, praying for all the saints and for the ministry of the gospel to move forward. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.